a young lady by the name of Anna Jarvis from the Appalachian Mountains organized what she called Mother's Work Days to improve the sanitation and avert deaths from disease-bearing insects and seepage of polluted water. In 1872, when Boston poet, pacifist, and woman suffragist Julia Ward Howe established a special day for mothers and for peace, not long after the bloody Franco-Prussian War. In 1905, when Anna Jarvis died, her daughter Anna decided to memorialize her mother's lifelong activism and began a, a campaign that culminated in 1914 when Congress passed a Mother's Day resolution. Each woman and all of these events have contributed to the present occasion now celebrated on the second Sunday of May. The cause of world peace was the impetus for Julia Ward's Howe's establishment over a century ago of a special day for mothers following unsuccessful events to pull together an international pacifist conference after the Franco-Prussian War, Howe began to think of a global appeal to women. While the war is still in progress, she wrote, she clearly felt that cruel and unnecessary character of the contest. She believed, as any woman might, that it could have been settled without bloodshed. And she wondered, why do not the mothers of mankind interfere in these matters to prevent the waste of that human life of which they alone bear and know the cost? Howe's version of Mother's Day which served as an occasion for advocating peace, was held successfully in Boston and elsewhere for several years, but eventually lost popularity and disappeared from the public notice in the years preceding World War I. For Ann Jarvis, known as Mother Jarvis, community improvement by mothers was only a beginning. Throughout the Civil War, she organized women's brigades, asking for workers to do all they could without regard for which side their men had chosen. And in 1868, she took the initiative to heal the bitter rifts between her Confederate and Union neighbors. Her younger Anna Jarvis was only 12 years old in 1878, when she listened to her mother teach a Sunday school lesson on mothers in the Bible. I hope and pray that someone, sometime, will find a Memorial Mother's Day, the senior Jarvis said. There are many days for men, but none for mothers. Following her mother's death, Anna Jarvis embarked on a remarkable campaign. She poured out a constant stream of letters to men of prominence, President William Taft and former President Theodore Roosevelt among them, 
and enlisted considerable help from Philadelphia merchant John Wanamaker. By May of 1907, Mother's Day service had been arranged on the second Sunday in May at the Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia, where Mother Jarvis had taught. That same day, a special service was held at the Watermaker Auditorium in Philadelphia, which could see no more than a third of the 15,000 people who showed up. The custom spread to churches in 45 states and in Puerto Rico, Hawaii, and Mexico, and Canada. The governor of West Virginia proclaimed Mother's Day in 1912. Pennsylvania governor in 1913 did the same. The following year saw the congressional resolution, which has promptly signed by President Woodrow Wilson, Mother's Day has endured. It serves now as it originally did to recognize the contributions of women. Mother's Day, like the job of mothering, is varied and diverse. Perhaps that's only appropriate for a day honoring the multiple ways women find to nurture their families and the ways in which so many have nurtured their communities, their countries, and the larger world. Happy Mother's Day. For all of you ladies following this service, there will be individuals in the foyer with baskets. They will be giving to you a gift. We trust that it will bring you joy. In the word, it's difficult to focus in on just one of the ladies that are mentioned in the word of God. You won't find in the word of God too many men that we would hold up as being good fathers. Outside of God, individuals like Abraham, who was a liar. Moses who was a chicken, David, who was an adulterer. Few there are that we could turn to and say, dads, this is the kind of guy you should be. But there's a plethora of ladies. The one this morning I wish to draw your attention to, her name is Hannah. She finds herself in a very precarious situation. For it says God closed her womb. And when God is, causes the problem, then God is the only one who can bring a resolution. Her womb was shut. And as a custom during that time, because the wife could not produce children, which, by the way, to them having children was a blessing of God. Can someone help me out? We need to get rid of abortion. Children are a blessing of God. Enough of the political. 
but it affected Hannah. I can imagine the conversation she had with her husband, Elkanah, when she said, you better find someone else to carry on the family line. Peninnah comes into the household and has children, and Hannah has none. Over time, Elkanah notices the sadness of his wife. And he probably says one of the dumbest things that a man could ever say to his wife. Aren't I better than ten sons? Uh, missed it by about that much. But when God is the cause of the problem, then God is the only one who can bring the resolution. It's kind of interesting that Hannah's name means gracious, full of grace. Even in the midst of her being Accosted day after day after day by Peninnah, yet she still was gracious. But she went to the one who she knew could change the situation. Let me share with you five characteristics that I've entitled the character of the barren. She was barren but she was not forgotten. The first characteristic you have listed there in your notes is her sanctity. Notice that does not say her sanity. Sanctity, which means God had set her apart for a purpose and for something that she had not yet even known what was going to happen. The word sanctity, the word sanctified means to be set apart wholly unto God for his use. About the closest we can get to in an understanding of what that means is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Where the apostle Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, there it is, that God has predetermined that you will walk in. Hannah was walking a path that seemed to be empty. But little did she know that God had a plan. God had set her apart for a dynamic in the time of the nation of Israel that needed someone who would stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. Now don't get too far ahead. We all know that Hannah gave birth to Samuel. He is the last judge of Israel but he is also the first 
prophet of Israel. Before we get there, we have four more. The second one, her sorrow. In she exclaims about herself in verse 15. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. She so wanted to have children. In particularly, she wanted a son. She only asked for one. She needed to have her life fulfilled in recognizing the fact that she has done what God has created women to have. Let me give you a definition of women. They have babies. The Supreme Court don't know that. But the word of God is plain. And Hannah wanted a child. Her sorrow was that deep that she even referred to herself as a woman who is broken hearted. God, I got no other place to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know what your plan for me is. All I know is there's this emptiness inside of me and you're the only one who can fix it. Isn't it interesting that at least in the scriptures it gives us the indication that Hannah only went to the one who could fix the problem. She didn't go to a local psychiatrist. She didn't seek out a biblical counselor. Those may be apropos in their use. She didn't get on the phone and start calling all the ladies in the congregation. Woe is me for I am undone. No. She went to the one who could change the situation. How often do we waste our time, me included, gentlemen included, how often do we waste our time trying to get other people's opinion without first going to God and seeking his answer? That's what Hannah did. Elkanah couldn't fix it. Peninnah wouldn't leave her alone. And she didn't know any other place to go but to the temple. Which leads us to her supplication. She prayed. So dynamic was this prayer. That even though Hannah noticed and recognized the situation, yet she still believed that God had a plan. Her name comes to again, Grace. 
she recognized the giver of grace and she recognized the giver of life. And she began to pray. Such an intense prayer that scriptures tells us that no words left her lips, but God heard her heart. Oh, she mouthed the words. She was able to at least from her heart cry. I can even imagine teardrops falling from her eyes. Words did not exude from her lungs. But God knew. Paul writes something similar to that in Romans chapter 8 and verses 26 and 27. Where it says that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit makes groanings for us. So that maybe the only thing we can say is, Daddy, help! Help! Because that's all I got. How do you pray intently for the life of your best friend in high school who doesn't know Jesus? How do you pray intently in the midst of some of the darkest storms wondering, God, do you even care? Hannah is our example. That all she did was that she got before God and cried from her heart. Eli, the high priest, should have known better. So it gives you an indication where he is spiritually. Oh, we won't get into his two sons. Phineas and Hophni. They were fleecing God a long time ago. Before some of our other so-called televised preachers are doing now. They were fleecing God, and Eli didn't do a thing about it. And all he could see was a drunkenness when he had no idea of the brokenness. Eli says, put away your drunkenness. And Hannah says, you got it all wrong. It's me and God. And I can know he's the only one I can go to. Isn't it interesting that she didn't go to Eli first? Eli couldn't change the situation. Only God can. If God causes the problem, then God is always the one who can fix it. Eli sends her home with a blessing. And it changes everything. Because when she went home, 
The scriptures tells us that her and Elkanah got together and she conceived and had a child. The child was born. The house was filled with joy. (laughs) And it was glorious. Samuel was his name because the Lord has heard my cry. Samuel. So powerful was that change that she wrote a song. Chapter 2. I challenge you to take Hannah's song and compare it to Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. They are very, very, very close in their exasperations of how great God is. You, as you read chapter 2, you'll find out that Hannah spoke of the godly attributes of God's power, of his holiness, his knowledge, his majesty, and grace. Mary said the same thing when she found favor with the Lord. I wish to tell you just a little bit of a story concerning 1 Samuel chapter 2, especially verse 2. In one of my previous ministry opportunities, there was a, a young lady who had two children. She contracted a very aggressive form of cancer. Her days were numbered. And one of the last times I was able to go see her, just a few days before she passed away, she was still cognitive, talkative, but yet very, very weak. And as I sat by her bedside, she said some of the most interesting words that I've not heard in a long time. And she said, do you see him coming? I said, who? Who's coming? She said, Jesus is coming. He's just on the other side of the river. Can you see him? I said, no, I, I'm sorry, I can't. But I'm glad that you do. Oh, he's glorious. He's coming for me, she said. And with those words, I left. After having prayer and reading scriptures. And the Lord laid upon me 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. I wrote a little chorus for her. I put it on very formal paper and bass, tenor, alto, soprano. And it goes something like this. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. 
Nor is there any rock like our God. No one is holy like you. Had it framed. Gave it to her family at the funeral. And the best that I remember now, it most likely is still hanging over the top of the piano that she could play. Can you imagine Hannah writing these words of how majestic God is? Her song rings true. Even in the midst of the most darkest storms that we can go through, God is still holy. He is still just. There is none like him. I think Henry Blackaby says it the best when he said, God is always at work. We may not know what it is that he is doing, but he is always working around us, through us, for the purpose of his holiness. Her song. And lastly, her sacrifice. She said, when I have weaned the young man, probably be about three years old, I will bring him back to the temple. And he will stay there for the rest of his life. For what the Lord has given me, I promise to return. And let the Lord use him as he see fit. Now ladies, let me ask you a question. How many of you would be willing to give up a three-year-old child? When children are dedicated to the Lord, there's always a question that I ask. Are you willing to allow the Lord to work in this child's life as he sees fit and you let go of what God will do? That's what Hannah did. Every year she would come back with a, a newly sewn, put together jacket for her little boy. And over the years, I wonder if those jackets that maybe Samuel hung in his closet as a reminder of his mother's faithfulness year after year after year. was her sacrifice she willingly gave back to the Lord that which he promised to give but God blessed her she had a slew of kids after that she had five children after that her household was full table was surrounded 
and joy once again flowed from her heart. But she never turned to Peninnah and said, nah, 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 nah. No, she did not. She was gracious. In closing, I wish to give you three lessons. Three lessons from this passage. First lesson is this. As we consider all that Samuel became, we realize how valuable the influence of a godly mother has on the course of their children as well as the nation. Samuel's life was affected by his mother. For the three years that Hannah had him, close to her breast as she is feeding him. I kind of wonder if maybe Hannah was sharing with him, Samuel, I promise to give you back. Remember the promises of God. Remember what God has in store for you. Don't lose sight. Don't give up. changed all of a sudden the sacrificial system that was adulterated became holy again unto God as Samuel led the nation of Israel as God determined second lesson even in the midst of what seems to be harsh and careless words given by the world to women who follow God, we learn from Hannah's example that the heart of God is a comforting retreat for a sorrowful soul. It's the place you can go. And the world that clamors to you, ladies, don't pay attention to them. Listen to what God has to say about you. You're precious. Even if you determine to stay home, you're precious. And lastly, as followers of Christ, we need to be careful not to be too hasty in our conclusions. Eli condemned Hannah when he had no idea what was going on. Be careful. Don't come, don't jump to conclusions. Pray. Our God, we thank you this morning for this godly example of a woman whom we only know from the pages of scripture. Our lives have not been graced by her, but she's here for an example for us to show grace to the world. I pray for our mothers. 
I pray for the ladies of our congregation that, oh God, that you would use them to bring blessing in the home and in the church and the community. Oh God, may they speak from their hearts to people who need hope. And as they tenderly and carefully minister to their children in the home, oh God, I pray that you would reward her with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We thank you for our ladies, each and every one of them. We are so blessed here at Grace Church. And I pray, oh God, that you would bless our ladies, our mothers. Bless them with a fantastic day. And we'll praise you in your name. Amen.